When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Um, if you want to check out our YouTube channel, uh, yesterday we had an interview with Joy Clarkson. I haven't figured out how to get that on the podcast, but it's a really good interview about her book, Aggressively Happy. It's on YouTube. at our. You'll see it posted on our church Facebook page, which is St. Joan of Arc Episcopal Church, or on our um or my personal David W. Peters Facebook page. My Twitter feed has it as well from yesterday. But um, I want to get that out to you as well. It's a great book, Aggressively Happy. I'm thankful for you joining this podcast today. We're going to talk about Isaiah and Jesus uh, getting nearly pushed off a cliff. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory, because their shame was double, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot. Therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you so much, Paula, for reading that and for reading what Jesus read in the Gospel of Luke. We are told that Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he opens the scroll and he reads. Um, Sometimes Bible scholars get a little weird with Jesus and they say things like he wasn't able to read or write. Um, Here we have an example in Luke of him reading. Another example of him writing in another place. But um, he gets up in the synagogue and reads this text from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Um, Even in that moment, you can see the Trinity um, functioning. The spirit of the Lord God, of the Father, is upon me, Jesus, he says. 
And in that moment, there's this Trinitarian unity that we can reflect back on and see it all very clearly, although the people that heard him could not see it clearly. He has anointed me that the anointing of God, this is the word Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, his last name is not Christ, it's the title of his Messiahship, Christ being the a form of the, or translation of the word from, in, uh, from Hebrew of Messiah to Greek, and Messiah just means anointed one. Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed in the Old Testament. The anointing that we have described is one where they pour oil over your head, almost like kind of like we might do baptism by pouring water, but the oil is poured over your head. It runs down the beard, as it says in Psalm 133. Um, it's a lot of oil. It's not just a little dab on the forehead. It is this anointing that he brings into into the synagogue at Nazareth. The synagogue system was born of the exile. Um, It comes out of the the people of God being taken into captivity in Babylon, and there they develop the synagogue system, which is still in place in Judaism today, Uh, finding uh, 10 people, 10 men to, to start Um, that gathering. The synagogue system is different than the temple. It's local, highly local, like there's one in Nazareth. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to be part of the teaching of the synagogue. It's right there in your your town or village. Um, The word just means to gather together. In the New Testament, the word synagogue, synagogue in Greek is used to describe church gatherings of Christians as well. Christians today would, wouldn't call our churches synagogues um, at all as we don't want to um, confuse ourselves or anybody else of our distinctions with our Jewish siblings and neighbors. But um, Jesus getting up in the synagogue in Nazareth uh, is a huge turning point in his ministry. And you can see why, or it's hard, it's hard to see why, because all he's reading is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. Like, God has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. The good news, the gospel um, of God's mighty acts in the past that God can do again is all throughout chapter 61 of Isaiah. If God could lead us out of Egypt through the Red Sea, God can lead us through this exile, um, to Babylon, this loss of our identity, our autonomy, our, all the things that the people of God lost in the Babylonian captivity will be restored by God. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. What an evocative image, a broken heart. As Valentine's Day approaches, images of hearts are everywhere. Hearts, the symbol of love. Hearts are, are all over uh, our world. It doesn't look anything like the human heart, the shape of a heart. I forget the origin of the heart um, emoji or heart drawing of those two halves of the heart. But um, I don't think anyone throughout time or history thought that the human heart looked like that. Somehow that became to symbolize love because we do feel love in our hearts we feel love in our bodies, in our chest, um, in, our, in our inner organs sometimes as, uh, 
as love in the Bible and other strong emotions are seated in our, in our gut. That's why we say, trust your gut when you're, when you meet somebody or you're going to a new job or you, you're going on a date or whatever it is that you're doing for the first time, trust your gut. It'll tell you kind of what's going on, if you're safe or, or not. And so that heart knowledge, um, but the brokenhearted, um, how does heart, hearts break? They break because they become hard, um, hard-heartedness, and then they become shattered like glass or shattered like clay. Um, it's painful to have a broken heart where you just hurt. And that hurt is in our chest. It's, it's really strange that that is still how we feel and how we say it. Um, humans are more alike than we are different all throughout space and time. And so God comes to bind up the brokenhearted, to take all those pieces gather them together, assemble them, and then wrap them in something that'll hold them together. What a beautiful image for healing. It's the same heart that was broken that God puts back together. It's the same one, and it can get broken again. Um, That certainly is true, but it's ultimately God who's holding it together. If God has healed your broken heart, it's because um, he's the one holding it together. Proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners. Jesus says this in the synagogue because God has always been saying this to people. The goal of life is not to have a lot of people confined. Um, The prison abolition movement of today is is bearing witness to the fact that maybe there are other ways to do this. It's hard to imagine. It was hard for people during the era of slavery in America to imagine a different system. It seemed like everything sort of had to stay as it was because there was fear of instability and things. But again, Jesus here speaks to the release of prisoners, the liberty to the captives. It's definitely talking about the people who have been exiled to Babylon or held in a prison of a foreign land that they don't know the language in or um, aren't able to function the way they did in their own land. But um, it is also speaking to a deeper liberation of the human life, of your life and my life. Um, release from incarceration that goes on forever, release from other systems of prisons that we get ourselves into or other people get us into. I think the the prison of debt is a big one for most Americans. The prison of a bad credit score. These are all um, metaphors for that lack of freedom that people have. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, favor, this year of jubilee, Um, Jubilee Episcopal Church uh, to our west is a new church plant, and we celebrate with them. And their church name was taken uh, because of this text and other texts in the Old Testament that say every 50 years there should be a year of Jubilee. This is so radical, we can't even conceive of it as Christians today. And there's no evidence that that anybody ever did this. Um, There's no historical record of the people of God in the Old Testament doing doing this, but every 50 years, every piece of property that had been sold to somebody else, it would revert to the family uh, that owned it 50 years ago. Can you imagine what that would, just doing that? All debts were canceled. If you owed any money to anybody for any reason, your debt was canceled every 50 years. Talk about a leveling effect in the world. Can you imagine how that would be? What would happen in your family if, um, if that were to, to be the case. Um, unthinkable when you contemplate what God 
instructed God's people to do from Mount Sinai, from the law of Moses onward. That every 50 years, this is what you're going to do. Um, there were other things in the year of Jubilee. But this is what Jesus proclaims when he stands in that synagogue. He says, like, this is the day. Um, he reads this text, and then he says, he adds his own words to it. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the first reaction people have is, who is he to say such things? Isn't he the carpenter's son? This is where we find out about Jesus's dad's profession. His dad is a tecton, um, a builder or a worker uh, with construction material. We often think of carpentry as arts and crafts kind of thing. Jesus, the carpenter, making little things out of wood. But the word is probably better understood as contractor or builder or roofer or something like that. We're actually building structures um, more, more than likely, maybe even working with stone. Um, tecton, the Greek word tecton for builder, maker, um, is where the word technology comes from. And now we in Pflugerville are surrounded by tech workers. Many of us are tech workers here in this church um, to work with the, the zeros and ones of the of digital coding and, and computer technology. Um, so I think Joseph, Jesus's father, as a tecton, is a very relevant figure for tech workers today. Um, and this is where, in Luke, where we get that knowledge of what Joseph did for a living. It never says Jesus was a carpenter, um, although we can imagine him working with or for his father and certainly supporting his family that way up until his public ministry begins. But they first wonder, how could this carpenter's son be so bold to say that he is declaring this Jubilee year where all the debts are forgiven, where all the prisoners are set free, where people get back the property and land that, and farmland that they sold to somebody else 50 years ago to make some money because they needed to survive. People in the ancient world in this Jesus time, or really all times, never sold land. You never sold land unless you were desperate because um, land was how you produce food for your family and, and loved ones and flocks and all those things. So it was, um, uh, we can't really, there's no real modern parallel to it because you and I can sort of exist without farmland in this world. We, we don't need farmland to grow stuff to live. Um, we, it's nice when we have it, and some of you do, um, to grow and raise crops and cattle and things, but um, ultimately we can live without um, having a farm in America today. People back then, it was a lot more difficult to do. So that when they sold land, it was a huge devastating blow to their family's future and economy. So getting that land back was really getting life back in many ways. Um, and Jesus declares this year, and then he doubles down when they get in a little argument in the synagogue. There's a doubling down of Jesus. Um, he says a few things to them, his townspeople, the people he grew up with. Um, he says a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Basically, you're, a prophet is welcome and respected everywhere, but the hometown he grew up in doesn't expect it to happen here. They get so enraged, his own townspeople so enraged at what he says that they try to take him and throw him off a cliff. If you go to Israel today, uh, Nazareth, um, you go there and there's a cliff. There's a hill in, right outside of the city of Nazareth where allegedly, this is the hill that they try to throw him off. It's called Precipice Hill, I think. 
There's a cliff there. And on the plaque, uh, there's a legend, which is not in the Bible, that Jesus like flies off the hill. Um, it says in Luke very clearly that Jesus uh, passes back through the crowd unseen and unnoticed. So I don't know how that legend happened that Jesus kind of flew off the hill there in Nazareth, but it's on the brass plaque um, there. You can Google it, um, Hill of the Precipice or Nazareth, Hill that Jesus jumped off of. Um, if you Google, you'll see the picture of the plaque or the hill maybe. But ultimately, um, this, this event is the declaration of what Jesus is here to do. Um, Jesus is always here to restore people to community, restore them to life again. He is doing this. He will do this um, in small ways in our lifetime, in big ways in our lifetime, but ultimately when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That justice that he will bring is going to restore all things. So whatever you, whenever we look around at the world and say, things are really messed up, uh, I don't know if I can e- this will ever get better. Um, I was reflecting this morning, about two years ago, uh, a friend of mine who works in finance sent me an email about an investment opportunity. I don't know why he sent it to me, but he thought maybe that'd be good for me to, to do. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not the kind of person that gets a lot of investment solicitations, but um, he sent it to me. And it was a way to, to buy shares of houses that are rented out. You can buy shares in markets where house prices are going up and um, you can buy a share. And I got to thinking about that, what that meant for people who were trying to buy houses when investment companies are buying houses with cash and people that work jobs are trying to buy houses with their mortgages and loans and things like that. Um, There's no competition there. The investment companies will always win unless that seller really fights it or resists it or takes a lower price. And I thought, hmm, um, this, this is a really messed up situation that is happening all across America. You can read about it in the newspapers. It's happening in the Austin area. It's happening in California and New York and D.C. and major U.S. cities. This is happening. And there doesn't seem to be a way around it. Um, I can't imagine a way around it. I, I don't know. My imagination is limited. Um, and it, sometimes with very like innocuous injustices like that, that's not the worst thing that's happening in the world. And then some really horrific things that pile up on that we talked about yesterday with Joy uh, Clarkson. Um, you know, this belief that Jesus will come to practice justice in the world, that the year of Jubilee is yet to come, and we can enact it here in little ways as we await the day of his coming. So God loves justice, he says in this chapter. God loves justice. Um, And that whatever you lost will be given back to you. Whatever you lost will be given back to you. God will build up the ancient ruins, raise their former devastations, and repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. When we look back in our lives and we see some of the ruins, um, some of those places that are broken, to know that God is going to restore those. God is building them back even now. Um, God is gathering the supplies that uh, it'll take to repair those parts of our lives, even now, even though we can't know it or feel it or see it. Um, believing that God is doing that is right here in the text of Isaiah. It's, it's almost nearly 3,000 years old. But God is doing this again and again and again, and he's doing it for you. He's doing it for me. He's doing it for our church. 
He's doing it for our communities. He's doing it all over the place. And we get to be part of that. That's what it means to be in the, in the family of God, to be in the church, is to get to be part of that restoring work in the world. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Mighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Today we are delighted to have a book, the brand new 2022 Lesser Feasts and Fasts. Um, The calendar of our prayer book is in the front part of our prayer book, and that includes all the major feast days, all the days of the apostles and other feast days that have been around for a really long time. And then later, there is another book called the Lesser Feasts and Fasts Calendar, which I have in my hand, which we update every couple years of different saints, trying to include um, many people who have not been recognized by church history, people of color, women, um, not just a bunch of uh, men, and especially more recently, a bunch of white men. We want to reflect the whole counsel of God in the church through this calendar of lesser feasts and fasts. And so I am opening this book for the first time on whatever day it is, February 10th. And I have not read this yet. All right, here we are, February 10th. Scholastica of Nursia. Scholastica of Nursia, a monastic um, figure out how this works. Oh, I see. The biography is on the left side instead of the right side. Got it. Um, Scholastica was the twin sister of Benedict of Nursia. Twins. Don't you love twins? Aren't they great? Um, I have twin cousins and uh, they're identical. Just amazing. Um, But these were fraternal, apparently, a boy and a girl. Benedict of Nursia and Scholastica of Nursia. Nursia. Um, She was a founder of, or he was the founder of the Benedictine order. The rule of St. Benedict becomes the standard for monks even today in all monastic communities in Christianity. Um, All of the rule of lives lives that they have are sort of riffs on Benedict's rule of life. It's worth reading. It's really um, insightful about how a community should be structured. In fact, churches today are more like Benedict's community um, than they are like anything else in many ways. But uh, Scholastica becomes a patron saint of nuns, women who have vowed and dedicated themselves to God, as she did in her youth. What we know about her, we owe to the dialogues of Gregory the Great, um, throughout, although the tradition has it that she lived in a very large religious community at Plumbariola, 
Plum Bariola. There is no evidence that a convent existed there at that time. It is now speculated that she lived in a small hermitage with a few other religious women. Plum Bariola was convenient to her brother's monastery at Monte Cassino, and Benedict regularly visited his sister to discuss the scriptures and spiritual matters. On one such short visit, late in her life, Scholastica, perhaps knowing that her time was short, begged her brother to remain there overnight. Benedict refused, as this would violate his own monastic rule to stay at the convent overnight, even though it was with his sister. Scholastica then prayed for God's intervention, and the weather, which was already threatening, turned violent, so that Benedict was trapped. Ironically, Scholastica is often invoked against heavy rain. When he reproved his sister, she replied, See, I asked you, and you would not listen to me, so I asked my Lord, and he has listened to me. Gregory writes, It is no wonder that the woman who had desired to see her brother that day proved at the same time that she was more powerful than he was. Uh, That says it all, doesn't it, right there. Three days later, after he had returned to his monastery, Benedict saw his sister's soul in the form of a dove ascending to heaven. He had her buried in his own tomb, and when he died, he was buried with her. The beautiful story of these, this brother and sister who loved each other and cared about each other and also fought with each other. I think that's a hallmark of good um, sibling relationships. Um, to disagree, but to love. And this vision of the dove ascending, I think that's beautiful too. I think birds do um, communicate a lot to us. Certainly cardinals, um, when someone dies, is uh, very rooted in our tradition. And it's in, it's in Christianity. The Spirit, Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, it says. Um, so birds do embody um, God's presence and the presence of those we love, certainly in life. And we can see that in the story of uh, Scholastica of Nursia. We thank God for her. Assist us, O God, to love one another as sisters and brothers and to balance discipline with love and rules with compassion according to the example shown by your servant Scholastica. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. I invite your intercessions or thanksgiving. Mighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. You have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth. In the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.